Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is animal news. <laughs> this is from BBC.com. And the headline is, Hippos can recognize their friends' voices. Oh. The latest in our series of <laughs> animals can do things that are normal brain functions. <laughs> um, we really need so, to work on the title of that yeah, segment. I, know, I, don't, I don't know what the title is. I, I change it every time it happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out eventually. So, wild hippos are apparently very noisy. Their calls traveling long distances across, across lakes and rivers. But until now, the precise function of the loud honks hippos make has been a mystery. The sounds that we're focused on in the study that I'm about to talk about are specifically called wheeze honks, <laughs> which is the main reason I brought this today because I think wheeze. that's hilarious. <laughs> it's like the official name of that sound that hippos make. It's very, very first thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what does that sound like? Is it a honk? It's kind of different than a. It's kind of like a wheeze. It's like, it's like they're wheezing and honking. Okay, let's call it a wheeze, wheeze honk. honk. Yeah. So scientists studying hippos at a nature reserve in Africa say that the distinct honks enable the large animals to tell friend from foe, and the team says the animals can probably recognize individuals from their voices as well. Study leader Professor Nicolas Mathivon from France has studied the sounds of anim- the, the sounds animals make across the world, from leopard seals to hyenas, so all sorts of animals. He says hippos have a wide vocal repertoire, including grunts, bellows, squeals, and wheeze honks. (laughs) (laughs) One of these things. But but very little is actually known about, like, hippos' social communication and and how they communicate with each other. Um, So the wheeze honk is the most common hippo call and the loudest. Um, It can travel as far as one kilometer, the sound. Whoa. Of those, so they're, they're very like, loud. There's also that, that that also has a miles value. I bet. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot to convert <laughs> is it. Is it point six? I can never remember if it's point six miles in a kilometer or point six kilometers in a mile. I think it's the second one. Yeah, I think a kilometer is less than a mile. Yeah, I think that's right. So, but it's like kind of close to a mile. Yeah, so it's traveling. But maybe for, it's point, I don't know. I have to look it up. Almost but. a mile. Then. We'll just say it's almost almost a mile away. Okay. You can hear these hippo wheeze honks almost a <laughs> mile away from the hippo, which is, like, very far. <laughs> um, so to find out more about hippo communication, French researchers recorded the sounds of hippos living in a special reserve in Mozambique. And they broadcast hippo sounds that they had recorded from the shores of lakes to see how other hippos responded to them. And they found that hippos could tell apart friends, neighbors, and strangers from their voices. Okay. It's pretty expected, actually. That's yeah. good. <laughs> but in addition to uh, telling apart friend or foe, or at least unfamiliar hippos, the animals can probably distinguish like actual individuals, too. But they weren't able to like definitively prove that in the mm-hmm. study that they did. Um, this was funny. Okay. The animals responded more aggressively to unknown hippos with quicker, louder, and more frequent calls often accompanied by territorial displays of dung spraying, which I did not know was a thing. Okay. But apparently that's a thing huh. that hippos do. The wheeze honking out of both hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So Professor Mathavon said it was important to learn about the biology and behavior of hippos to help avoid human-animal conflicts. So, like, mm. this type of research just helps us understand their whole, like, their social behavior and what they expect and what what means that they're feeling threatened and all that. So, yeah. yeah. So you want to use the yeah. right wheeze honk if you're visiting right. a particular neighborhood right. of, of hippos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. They're just gonna make like a um some type of instrument that's like a whip a whippo hippo wheeze honk sound that you like blow into it or something, and it just makes yeah a wheeze honk, and then you can pass amongst the hippos <laughs> safely. Yeah, because that's the only the only feature they're looking for. Yeah. My first story is world news. This is from The Guardian. It looked so real. It's a quote. Ghostly iceberg was a wonder of nature, just not an iceberg. It was a ghost iceberg? It was a ghost iceberg. Oh. Um, so this story was told like a story <laughs> that kind of opened. Clear winter skies and the promise of a recent evening's beautiful sunset led photographer Simone Engels to a nearby park on Vancouver Island. But as she trained her lens on the pinkish hue of the landscape of the Pacific coast, she was shocked to see a large, iceberg-like shape on the horizon. I love articles that are written this way, by the way. Yeah. It's so dramatic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any, other art, uh, any other source would just be like, it was cold one day and this person went to, yeah. went to a park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Engels, who previously studied geography, cycled through possible explanations in her head, but if an iceberg was in the area, especially one of that size, it would surely have made the local news, she kept telling herself. <laughs> Again, it, it continues kind of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so with no one else around to confirm the mysterious sighting, she snapped an image and for nearly half an hour she watched the white shape on the horizon before it vanished from sight. Um, she shared the image online, hoping to get an explanation. The image soon went viral, and she learned that the mysterious iceberg was actually a mirage. It was a mirage? It was a mirage. I'll have to show you the image, too, because, I mean, any person would see that and think iceberg. (laughs) Um, she was actually viewing the Cheam Mountain Range on the mainland of British Columbia, nearly 124 miles away, and beyond the horizon from where she was standing. So, like, it wasn't something you could see over the horizon. It was, like, quite far away. Um, oh. So this illusion was caused by what is known as a superior mirage, which is caused during a temperature inversion when a band of warm air rests on a layer of cold air, bending light rays downwards, which is apparently something that light can do. <laughs> um Okay. So light from the setting sun was reflecting off of the range and bending down, placing the range on the horizon. And at a distance, the snow-covered peaks looked similar to a towering iceberg. So that's Whoa. like the scientific explanation for what happened. But I have to show you this image. Oh, I want to see the picture. Because, yeah, it absolutely looks like an iceberg on the horizon. Wow. That definitely looks like... Ice. It just looks like a giant, like, like a gi- glacier, piece of floating ice. yeah, like a glacier, even, thing. yeah, yeah. Which I guess wow. maybe it was because it was on top of a mountain, but <laughs> well, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, but that's totally what that looks like. Oh yeah. my gosh! So, yeah, imagine like looking out over, I don't know, like Lake Erie, and just seeing something like that, and like 
Like, what is that? that That's not supposed be to be there. And then it just goes away. And it just vanishes, yeah. It's like, um. I wish she'd said, like, how it vanished. Like, did it just, like, fade gradually? Or, like, just she, it got too dark for her to see it anymore. I don't know. But, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It's just a really cool image. Wow. And I didn't realize that mirages could happen like that. I didn't either. I've never heard of that before in my life. Yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty cool phenomenon. Wow. Now, anytime anybody sees anything that's like <laughs> on like UFOs and stuff, it's going to be like, it was a mirage. It's a mirage. It was a mountain range. It was, it was a mirage. You yeah. saw a mountain range floating through the air. <laughs> yeah. That's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My next story is science news. This is from sciencenews.org. Hey. Making another appearance. Uh, The headline is, an everlasting bubble endured more than a year without popping. Hmm. And and scientists are studying it. Um, It was not a soap bubble. Spoiler. It was a special liquid. (laughs) It was a glass ball. It It was a plastic ball from a ball pit and it didn't pop (laughs) and they're studying why no um so it was a special type of fluid apparently that can make bubbles just like soap bubbles but it wasn't soap so so (laughs) if you say so (laughs) that's what it says well soap bubbles are known for their fragile constitution a new type of bubble can stick around for more than a year before popping scientists have reported in the journal physical review fluids oh (laughs) instead of instead of soap and water the bubbles are made with water (laughs) microporous I'm sorry, I'm like, with water and soap. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> see, it's a very scientific combination of water and soap. <laughs> the bubbles are made with water, microparticles of plastic, and a clear viscous liquid called glycerol. Okay. So there's actually plastic, like, in the fluid. In a standard soap bubble, gravity pulls liquid to the bottom of the bubble, leaving a thin film at the top that can easily rupture. Evaporation of the liquid film also contributes to the lifespan of the bubble, shortening it. Mm-hmm. In these new everlasting bubbles, plastic particles cling to the water somehow, maintaining the film's thickness, and the glycerol absor- absorbs moisture from the air, counteracting evaporation. Okay. So That makes sense, I guess. So <laughs> uh, they made these bubbles... This team like made, made these bubbles and they were like, let's just see how long these last. And then they just were like waiting and waiting and wait. And it was like over a year. So one of the bubbles in the experiment, it lasted 465 days before it popped. I like to imagine there was somebody just sitting there watching it. Like the at all times. The entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just using a cam, like a video yeah, camera, no, they just had people in shifts <laughs> observing it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so this was the longest-lived bubble ever produced under normal atmospheric conditions. Okay, but also it wasn't a regular bubble, so... It was a... It was still a liquid bubble. Yeah. It wasn't a solid bubble. That's true. (laughs) Um, And apparently it was, like, turning green a little bit before it popped, and the research team suspects that, like, some microbes infiltrated it, and that's what even caused it to pop. So huh. it might have even lasted longer. 
hungry for some some of that That's, plastic, I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't know why I don't know what they were eating in there, but So is there like a practical This article did not reason. mention any practical reasons for this research. I was so like I, I was have thinking no like idea. I don't know anybody who's like these bubbles aren't lasting long enough. We need longer bubbles. Long <laughs> I honestly don't know what the reason is for the research. Well, I, I think it might be, I'm kind of, I'm speculating here, but maybe they were like, oh, what happens if we make a bubble with this liquid, you know? And they just were like, let's just try it out. And then it lasted like just so much longer than they thought. And it <laughs> that it became like a news story kind of. They thought the bubble would only last one night, but it lasted for <laughs> 465. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, I don't know. Can you think of a practical use for a long lasting bubble? No, <laughs> no hesitation. I like my mind is going to places like, what if, like, we had these like air bubbles in a water tank? I'm like, this makes no sense. I don't know, know where I'm going with this. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know what the use of it is. Don't know. Uh, well, sometimes science just happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. My next story is space news. This is from The Verge. What's next for NASA's James Webb Space Telescope now that it's reached its parking spot? Yay! Yay! It's the JWST. We really, we need a better, I'm just going to call it Webb, I think. The Webb? The Webb. (laughs) That won't be confusing, That won't be confusing at all, no. Um, Nothing else is called that, right? <laughs> Not that I can think of. Okay. Uh, so NASA's next generation James Webb Space Telescope, also known as the Webb, <laughs> may have reached its final parking spot in space. But there's still a long road ahead for the uh, uh, the observatory before it can start taking the dazzling pictures of the cosmos that uh, scientists have been eagerly awaiting. And also I have been eagerly awaiting. And I think and a lot too. of people have been, yeah. Um so on Tuesday at around 2 p.m. Eastern Time, the the Webb fired its onboard thrusters for a little less than five minutes, putting the vehicle into its final orbit in space. So it's like deployed now. They they got it where they wanted to go. All the stuff that was supposed to pop out popped out. Like, okay, it's good. <laughs> yeah, that the stuff that was slowly gonna like yeah for, extending, go, extend into place yeah. and stuff is all it's all, all out, good all out now and everything. All right, went well. all um, right. So this was the crucial last step for the telescope's journey, capping off a 30-day trip from the launch pad to its final orbit, roughly 1 million miles from Earth. Uh, Over the course of the next three months, mission engineers will align individual segments of the telescope's mirrors so that all of the pieces work together like one mirror. Um, In order to get sharp images of the cosmos, the mirrors need to be aligned within uh, one five-thousandth of a human hair. So... Pretty strict that requirements is very there. Very small tolerance. Which is why they're giving themselves three months, I guess, to get it right. Because it sounds like what they're going to do is they're going to take like a picture of a star or something with it, and like that'll like for the first picture that'll be split up into eighteen segments, just like the mirror. And then like over time, they'll like gradually correct each of the segments until they get that like okay. final image that they're looking for. That makes sense. Which just is just like a calibration process. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's just going to take a long time because every yeah. single time they need a new image, it's like 
it's probably not like the fastest connection. Yeah, I don't know. Do you remember like how <laughs> what they said of like how long it takes to get no. back? No. Like, but yeah, it's like it has to travel a million miles, and also it's like obviously wireless. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a broadband connection yeah. going out to going out to the telescope. Um, yeah. So once that once the mirror alignment process is complete, the mission team will then spend two months testing out the telescope's instruments and calibrating them to perform various tasks. So that's like so the whole calibration period is about five months. Oh, that's um, a long time. So it's gonna take a it's gonna take a while. Uh, a lot longer than the trip out there, but like the most difficult part of the journey is is done now, at least. So yeah, that, that that's was, great. Yeah, now it's now it's really just tiny little adjustments and stuff that they need to make. Um, and if all goes well, the telescope will capture its much anticipated first light images this summer, which NASA plans to release during a press conference. So great. Could be this summer that we we finally get pictures from this thing, which That's is so cool. Really exciting because it's apparently been in it's it's been in development for about twenty five years, so probably a pretty huge wow. payoff for all the people who've been working on it over that period of time. Wow, yeah. Can you imagine like being on the team that like worked on this and it's like oh, being launched it must be now? So like, cool. That'd be so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's so awesome. Okay, my next story is more animal news. <laughs> This is from APnews.com. The headline is Rare Eagle Seen in Maine, Wowing Birders Might Stay a Bit. <laughs> I love that headline. Right, that's all. <laughs> it's like six headlines in one. Yeah. So I don't know. Did you see this at all? No. By the way, okay. So apparently, a rare species of eagle that has thrilled bird lover- lovers and baffled scientists. Um, since arriving in Maine last month, might not be in a hurry to leave. So this eagle, it's called a Stellar's Sea Eagle. Oh, I've actually heard of that. Oh, really? I'm trying to remember why. I think probably a video game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, one of them randomly appeared in Maine in uh, late December. Or in actually, okay, it was in Massachusetts late last year, and then it went to Maine. Um, and since then, it's actually just been sticking around apparently in Maine's middle coast, eating fish and ducks, which I like, I had to do a double take at that. Like, okay, this is a large eagle. Okay. <laughs> eating a full duck. Uh, uh, and it's been attracting hundreds of bird watchers from all over the world who are coming to like see it and like take photos and stuff. Um, That's so cool. Because it's, it's really rare. There's only a few thousand of these eagles in the whole world right now in the wild that are like known. Um, and this species is actually native to Northeastern Asia. So, like, including, like, Russia and Japan. Oh. Um, so it's not really supposed to be over here. <laughs> so they don't really know why yeah. there's one in Maine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's on the wrong side of the... It's, like, of, of North America very too, so. far from where it's supposed to be. I, I didn't right. know, like, this article didn't say if, like, maybe these eagles are on, like, the west coast of the U.S. maybe more often. But yeah, I think it's really weird that to have one on the east coast mm-hmm. well this one heard about lobster rolls and it was like I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was like i want to check there. that out um so these eagles can have wingspans of up to eight feet that's how big they are that's that's, that's taller crazy. than we're or that's why that's bigger than we're tall uh, we're tall that's what i was trying to say <laughs> i can't talk i can't talk um yeah eight feet eight feet wingspan that's isn't that's that like insane. incredible i want to ride one 
into battle. So here's a <laughs> here's a picture of one. Now this is like it's it's blown up, but like it does make it look like really huge. But it, here's what it looks like. <laughs> it's zoomed in. But yeah, yeah, and the like whatever tree it's sitting on that makes it. <laughs> it, makes it just it looks look like good. a tiny little pine tree or something. Yeah, it's ma- really the, the way this photo is. It makes it look even it bigger looks than enormous. It, but it is a really really big eagle. It's a um, beautiful bird. Too. Yeah, there it like. They're like it's like gray with like white a white pattern on its wings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like apparently like all these people like bird enthusiasts and all these people are like going to Maine to like get photos <laughs> of this of this eagle because it's like so rare um, that it would be there. So huh. yeah, we don't know why it's there, but it seems like <laughs> I told you lobster rolls. Yeah, <laughs> everyone seems to be like yeah, it seems like it's doing okay. Like it's finding food, it's having a good time. <laughs> so I don't extended know. vacation. Hey, yeah, why not? Why not? There's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My next story is animal news. <laughs> this is another story from The Guardian. Ghostly monkey and, <laughs> and slug snake among 224 new species found in the Mekong region. Ooh. Um. I feel like ghostly monkey isn't a good descriptor of this monkey. Okay. It just it looks like a regular monkey that's got white circles around its eyes. That's like they're oh. like it's a monkey with ghostly white circles around its eyes. It's like they're just <laughs> okay. white circles. It's, it's like, just a monkey. All right. All right, let's calm down. It's a normal looking <laughs> monkey. I was just um, laughing because it's a, your second story that has like a the ghost word ghostly. Theme in, it, yeah. The other one literally <laughs> also has ghostly in the headline, okay. and they're both from the same day. Um, so <laughs> I don't so know. Random. Find another word, the Guardian. Uh, <laughs> But it, it, it's one of 20, 224 new species listed in the World Wildlife Fund's latest update on the greater Mekong region. Wow. Um, the report, released on Wednesday, highlights the need to protect the rich biodiversity and habitats in the region, which includes Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, uh, Thailand, and Myanmar. Uh, the monkey, which is a new species of Popolanger, found on the extinct Mount Popa volcano in Myanmar, was the only new mammal on the list, but there were dozens of newly identified reptiles, frogs and newts, fish, and 155 plant species, including the only known succulent bamboo species, which was found in Laos. Hmm. Um, I don't know what makes it a succulent bamboo species, but... I, it's really small and looks cute in a little pot? That's Yeah, that's literally all <laughs> I can think of. I just feel like... There's probably a more scientific explanation, <laughs> but yeah, but I probably. don't know what that is. So. Um, so some of the species are found in more than one country, including the bright orange twin slug snake, which consumes slugs. It's a snake that eats slugs, which isn't That's really what very you, strange. Yeah, it's not what you think of. Like you don't really even think of snakes consuming insects so much. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. It's a it's a very pretty orange snake. Hmm. Um, Including this latest list, scientists have identified more than 3,000 new species in this region since 1997. That's a lot of new species. Yeah. <laughs> it's a ton of new species. Wow. In like a, what does that make, like a less than 30-year period? Yeah, you said since when? 1997, yeah. So less than 30 years. Yeah. So that's more than How? 100 new Wait. <laughs> Mental yeah, math live yeah, during recording a, is so it's, treacherous. It's such a bad idea. <laughs> it's more than 100 new species a year, right? 100 times 
30. 30 is 3,000. It's 3,000. Yeah. You said that they found 3,000 or 2,000? 3,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. cool. Woo. I did it. Um, yep. But it's even more than that because it's since 1997, so it's not... Anyway. But yeah. Um, so despite human encroachment on tropical forests and other wild zones, much of the greater Mekong is still uh, unexplored, and each year dozens of new species are found. So, Yeah. Some new animals to add to the list, and and a lot of plants. A lot of them were plants, I think. Yeah. But, yeah well, that's also, cool. <laughs> they said they found one of the plants in like a plant shop in Vietnam. <laughs> like it wasn't even in the jungle. They just found it, and they're like, "This is undocumented." <laughs> 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 okay, that's that's pretty great. <laughs> it's like someone's just like selling a plant. Like, what plant is this? And they're like, I don't know. know. We call it this. Like, that's not a known. That's not a thing. That's not a known plant. <laughs> so this is the monkey they're calling ghostly. It doesn't look like. But it's just a normal monkey. If it was all white, maybe or something. Yeah, it's just a monkey, and you like you can barely tell, but it's got like white rings around its eyes. That is kind of cool looking. Like, it's the a cool white looking rings. monkey. I wouldn't describe that as ghostly though. It's almost no. like like it's um spectacles. mime ish <laughs> mime monkey. It's got mime makeup on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks like it has snake. makeup on. Ooh. It's very orange. I guess it is slugs. pretty looking. Yeah. Looks pretty little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, new, new That's stuff. That's so cool. I love learning about new species. Me too. All right. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Eagle. Ready, set, Go! go! Okay, I found this on UPI, um, just posted today. The headline is, Siberian Marathon might be the coldest of all time at minus 63.4 degrees. I don't usually understand why people run. (laughs) And And this extra? This, like, why? (laughs) There's no reason. Stop it. Is this? This has to be in Fahrenheit because there's no way that that. Oh yeah, is even no. In Celsius, in they would all be dead. Celsius, right? <laughs> right? They okay. would all have been launched. Into okay, because I'm just realizing it doesn't specify, but we're going to assume they mean Fahrenheit. I think okay, it's got to be because <laughs> 63 degrees Celsius is like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I'm hold on. Wait, I'm looking up what that would be. Hold on, <laughs> give me a second. <laughs> Celsius to Fahrenheit. Converter, temperature, negative. Wait, can you do negative in here? It won't let you. That's weird. Negative sixty. It will. It's okay because it's good. It's basically the same in either direction. Okay, sixty-three point four. Okay, yeah. If it was, <laughs> if that was Celsius, it would be a hundred and forty-six point twelve degrees so would, Fahrenheit. So you would mega boil. You'd be at. <laughs> yeah that would not that's not okay so yeah it was it was negative 63.4 degrees which is still very cold to be that yeah which is still incredibly incredibly cold cold. um yeah so a marathon held in siberia may have broken a guinness world record when runners brave temperatures of 63.4 degrees below zero organizers of the pole of cold marathon in Yukatia, Russia, 
said the start time for the race was pushed up to the early morning on January 21st after weather forecasts indicated the temperature would dip to 76 degrees below zero in the afternoon. So I guess that that was too cold. So they were like, let's do it in the morning before it's it's minus 76. So the temperature during the race reached a low. That was like the lowest point was 63.4. Guinness World Records currently lists the world's coldest marathon as 2001 Siberian Ice Marathon, where the temperature was about 38 degrees below zero. So they almost doubled it. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, um, so that marathon, I guess, yeah, wait, the pole of cold, no, 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 it's this one, okay, no, sorry, so this recent marathon um, was won by Russian runner Vasily Lukin in three hours and 22 minutes. And lost by everybody who participated. Um, and apparently there – yeah, and, then, and uh, several people were found uh, incapacitated <laughs> tur- in the frozen wasteland. Turned into wasteland. popsicles. Um, <laughs> and apparently uh, someone named uh, – I'm not going to pronounce this right. Marina Sedalisheva, a, a local woman, was actually the, f- the first woman to finish the, the race um, with a time of four hours and nine minutes. Wow. This time, so – yeah, I'm trying to th- – I don't think it says how far – like, was it a 5K? Did they say marathon? They said marathon. So that would be 26.1 miles? Is that the length? Oh, yeah. Like, there's a standard length marathon for that. I don't know what yeah, – okay, 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 okay. standard length. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's a very long race. <laughs> I don't do I do not do marathons and running. <laughs> I was yeah, like, is it I. 5K? Is it longer? Yeah, it's longer. Okay, I don't, I don't actually know. But, yeah, it's long. That's in long. the cold. Yeah. And oh, oh. I've just seen a few photos of this. I mean, they're obviously like, there's like super, super bundled up people like running. <laughs> just and it's the just down like, coats is like. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would imagine if you're running that whole time, like you would be generating a lot of body heat and stuff, but like still, still? <laughs> that's very extreme. Wow. I like hobbies that keep me inside. Me too. <laughs> right, this story is from WGN TV. I don't know where that's from, um, but uh, it says McDonald's is adding four hacked sandwiches to menu, including the crunchy double and the hash brown McMuffin. So what, <laughs> what that means is <laughs> they will be expanding their menu to include four, quote, new takes on some of its popular menu items, each of which is said to be inspired by fans who, quote, hacked the McDonald's menu to create their own food mashups over the years. So basically it's four new options that are based on things that like people have combined. Oh, okay. Um, so the hash brown McMuffin is a McMuffin with a hash brown. (laughs) No real surprises there. Um, figured, uh, the crunchy double is a McDonald's double cheeseburger, uh, with chicken McNuggets and barbecue sauce on it as well. Ooh. Seems like it would be, I think it probably would be. But it would also be a lot. Wait, how many nuggets are on it? <laughs> the picture made it look like quite a few nuggets. Oh. Um, so they have. Hmm. They also have the surf and turf, which is a double cheeseburger with components from the fish, uh, the fillet of fish. Okay, that actually is interesting. I don't that's, know if I that order sounds it, but... better to you than the chicken. <laughs> I don't the know. Maybe it was the barbecue sauce. Plus beef? I think it was the barbecue sauce. That... Oh, but I love barbecue sauce on a burger. 
But like the McDonald's barbecue sauce is like a certain yeah, that's true taste. I don't know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, it is. Okay, it, it is and it does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the the fourth one is the land, air, and sea, which <laughs> is a Big Mac combined with a McChicken and a fillet of fish. So it's chicken, fish, and beef. So that's a lot. That's a, a lot, lot of, of flavors. A lot of meats. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so as fun as this sounds, there are like a ton of caveats to it. Uh. For starters, the employees won't actually be building these sandwiches for customers, but giving you all the items you need to make your own. What? Which is so stupid. Wait. Okay, so that's not even anything. It's not even anything. (laughs) Okay. Like, basically, the the promotion (laughs) is that you can order one of these four things, and they'll give you the components instead of having to order them individually yourself. Okay. And it also, like, Uh, they also didn't make it clear if there's any discount for, like, ordering them in this way. As opposed to just like ordering the items separately. So really, all it is is like a new way to order like multiple items, multiple combos, <laughs> like a combo, I guess. So I like how they're like, oh, we're gonna have a secret hack menu, but then like not really go, but through not with actually it. commit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like they could have done better here. <sighs> um, oh well. Yeah. Honestly, I mostly just wanted to get your reactions to all these weird sandwiches. They're, so. they're pretty weird. They're pretty I, weird. To be honest, like now that I'm thinking about it, I don't th- know if I would eat any. The the burger with the chicken nuggets on it, I think I would eat that, but I would just use ketchup. Not, yeah, not with the burger. I would do, yeah, I would do ketchup. Yeah. Now, I, I could see that being good. I'm not a big fish person. You know this. So I don't know about yeah, the filet of yeah. fish ones. The McMuffin with the hash brown on it sounds great. Oh, yeah. That sounds like. Just like a breakfast sandwich that also has potato on it. That yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, same. So maybe I'll get one of those. <laughs> you should be able to put a hash brown on like any sandwich. Wait, that's true. Why don't they It's just have a potato patty. It's just potatoes. <laughs> You're eating it with fries anyway. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> Why isn't there an option where you can just put fries on your burger? Put a hash on it. I don't know. All right. Missed opportunity. Yeah. McDonald's. I don't know, but I have some experimenting to do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News, on Twitter at at News, and on Instagram at News. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.